Thanks for downloading another episode of the Booth are Helping Me podcast. This mini-series has been created in collaboration with some of our Booth for Dietitians to mark Dietitians Week. We hope you enjoy all the insight and expertise they have to offer. Thanks for listening to the third and final Dietitians Week Healthy Me podcast. My name is Abby Stanford and I'm a specialist health editor in the Booth for Health content team. And I'm here today with two dietitians from the Cromwell Hospital. Hi, I'm, I'm Cecilia. I'm one of the dietitians working around in oncology and um, doing outpatients as well. Um, so nice to join you today. <laughs> and I'm Liv. Um, I'm also one of the dietitians working in oncology. Um, and yes, thank you for having us today. You're welcome. Um, so today we're going to be answering some questions that have been sent in to us. Um, so let's get started. Okay, so the first question is one that I think we can probably all relate to. Um, if I've not been going outside much due to lockdown, will this affect the amount of vitamin D that I'm getting? That's actually a really good question because it's the sunshine, not food, is actually where most of the vitamin D comes from. Um, and so, and so, um, because of lockdown measures, many of us aren't, are likely not getting enough um, sunlight exposure to make enough of the vitamin D under our skin. Um, in terms of um, vitamin D, a little bit of background, um, vitamin D makes sure that you have healthy bones and healthy muscles. So it's important that you're getting enough. Um, and because of that, our British Dietetic Association actually suggest that everybody um, in in the UK, um, well, children over the age of one, um, should consider taking a daily supplement of vitamin D, which contains 10 micrograms, um, and that's especially during autumn and winter, um, to make sure that you're that you're getting enough. Obviously, there is vitamin D in foods, and some foods have more vitamin D than others. So um, some foods that contain contain lots of vitamin D include oily fish such as salmon and sardines and um, trout and kippers um, and um, other things like egg yolk and meat, offal um, and some things in the UK are also fortified with vitamin D so that could be margarine, um, some breakfast cereals um, and infant formula milk as well and it'll say on the packet. Um, in I just want to add um, the vitamin D supplement. You can pick that up from a pharmacy or a chemist um, or a health food shop or your local supermarket will also have it. Um, it can be taken in mostly tablet form and it will say 10 micrograms um, on the front and those are the ones that you should be picking. Um, if you'd like some further information on vitamin D and where to get vitamin D from, if you you can find the British um, Dietetic Association food fact sheet on this, um, which you can just um, pop into your internet search engine um, to find some find some more information. That's really helpful. Thank you. It's good to know that you can sort of you can try and get a few more foods, but also that you can pop to the supermarket or the pharmacy and, and get that supplement really easily as well. So that's good to know. Um, the next question that we have is from somebody who um, has IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and they've asked, do probiotic drinks help with IBS? 
Right. So in terms of IBS management, um, the first thing you would look at is always diet before you think of um, probiotics. Um, so the the question sounds like it's referring to the probiotics you found in supermarkets, like the yogurt type drinks. Um, so there's there's no harm in taking these drinks, um, but it's always just good to be mindful that because there's a lot of um, these brands, um, you know, and also because it's a food and it's not a medicine, they may not always be tested um, and going through all sorts of trials because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not a type of medicine. So it's just good to be mindful that, um, you know, um, these these products may actually, um, you know, you know, what is the actual effect? What is the type of bacteria is on the label? Will the specific life strains of bacteria be um, specific to your symptoms? Um, even if you are taking them, you know, by the time it reaches your gut, will it actually still be alive? Um, there's also um, other things to be mindful of. Um, you know, these products can have extra sugar and sweetness added to them. But again, there's, there's no harm taking them. And they can actually be quite good, a part of healthy, balanced diet because it um, also provides some extra calcium and protein, which is really good and um, good, good, good nutrients and very nutritious. Um, so, yeah, um, but I also just want to mention that um, there is an, an another um, type of probiotics, which is the pharmaceutical type, which um, I would recommend because it's, you know, it's got far more promising results in terms of trials and it's more evidence based because these probiotics will be tested specifically for specific symptoms um, because of the specific life strains of, of bacteria in them. So, um, so you can find them in supermarkets so it, it it's really good to speak um you know to, to see a dietitian to talk about this um because you know if you've got say for example um constipation predominant ibs you may want to take a different pharmaceutical probiotic compared to um if you have you know diarrhea predominant ibs so again um you, you know we've got specialist dietitians um that can that's trained in the fodmap diet and that can advise you on, on probiotics as well Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you. So there's no harm in taking them if you want to, but it's probably better to get a pharmaceutical one and speak to a dietitian about which one might actually benefit the type of IBS that, that you're experiencing as well. Okay, so the next question that we've got is um, about weight loss. So um, the person asks, does calorie counting work for losing weight? Um, is it really that simple? Uh, is it also about the type of calories that you consume? So in terms of weight loss and trying to lose weight, um, it can be as simple as counting calories. However, this can sometimes be very time consuming um, and take a lot of the enjoyment and pleasure out of eating. And there's often more important things to focus on than just calories. So the most important thing is that you're getting good quality nutrition um, when you're thinking about weight management. So for an example, if you're eating a diet solely consisting of fizzy drinks and white bread and candy, you're likely your body's not likely to be getting all of the nutrients that it needs to thrive. And in that case, you might also be getting cravings for even more of those foods, which can lead to further weight gain. So it's really important to be eating a variety of fresh, nutrient-dense foods from all of the different food groups, such as fruit and vegetables, lean protein, and complex carbohydrates. Um, your body needs a variety of those to get enough vitamins, to get enough antioxidants, protein, and of course, fiber. Um, so in terms of weight loss, some of the most important things to think about are whether you actually feel ready to lose weight. And if, if the answer is yes, then thinking about some small goals that you can make 
can help to make this a sustainable change. So it's not necessarily what we would call a diet, but a sustainable lifestyle change so that when you do lose the weight, it will also stay off. Um, if you feel like this is something that you're interested in um, doing, it could be helpful to seek the advice of a dietitian who can help to look through your eating plan and suggest some of those changes um, to fit in with your lifestyle so that it's not such a burden as counting calories and, and making sure that you're still enjoying your food. Okay, so the next question we have is someone who's following a FODMAP diet for irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and they are used to eating lots of fruit and veg and salad, but they feel like they're not maybe getting enough of it now um, because they're on this restrictive diet. So um, I think, Cecilia, you're going to ask this one. Before we start, I would just really like a quick overview of like what the FODMAP diet is because I'm sure like a lot of people haven't even haven't heard of it. Uh, thanks Abby. I actually mentioned FODMAP earlier on in the podcast so I haven't um, explained what it is um, so that's a good question. Um, so the FODMAP diet is really uh, what we would advise for patients who are suffering from IBS. It's normally the second line advice that you would um, give the patient after they've um, after you've looked at their diet is there anything that you may want to change such as, um, you know, looking at the alcohol, caffeine intake, fizzy drinks, um, you know, spicy foods, are they eating regular? So if all those things are in place, then FODMAP diet would often be advised. Um, so FODMAP is an acronym for um, fermentable carbohydrates that's present in a lot of, um, you know, carbohydrate-rich foods um, or not necessarily, it could be, you know, it could be your fruit and vegetable group. It could be your um, coming from the carbohydrate group as well. So there is very specific foods that you have to um, avoid. It's not a long-term diet, um, which is um, better because you don't want to follow a sort of a restrictive diet for a long term. But with the help of dietitian, you know, it, it shouldn't be, um, it's not a restrictive diet and there is quite a lot of options. Um, so yeah, that's just the explanation of the, um, the FODMAP diet. <laughs> so to come back to the question you've asked of this lady, um, f- feels like she's, um, She's not eating as much fruit and vegetables as she used to. And that that can happen. Um, but it again, um, if you see a dietitian and you really go into detail of what foods you should be having and avoiding, then there should be no risk of nutritional deficiencies and there should be plenty of options. Um, so normally with the resources we would be giving to patients with um, IBS and wanting to start the FODMAP diet, we would uh, go through you know a booklet um, with a traffic light system, which gives you options of um, green foods. So green foods is all the foods that is allowed in the diet for fruit and vegetables is quite a long list. So if you feel like you're maybe not getting enough, making sure you have a quite a big variety of those green foods. And also um, there's the yellow group, which um, means you can have a small amount, a smaller quantity of it. But again, it will add to more variety while you're on the FODMAP diet. So I think it's just being mindful that um, you may have to do more planning and things while you are following this diet. And again, it's it's just six to eight weeks. So um, by that time, you can read after eight weeks or six weeks, depends on what your dietitian advice um you will be able to reintroduce foods back into your diet so you can have um you know the fruit and vegetables again that you um enjoy but um yeah again just try and see you know it's always good to do this diet under the supervision of the dietitian so you can get the right resources 
Um, so the next question that we have is another weight loss question. And it's somebody who is wondering if it's better to eat their calories earlier on in the day and then eat fewer of them later on in the evening. So this is a question that we get quite often. Um, what I would say is that although more research is needed um, in this area, what we do know is that it's more to do with the total amount of food or the total amount of energy that you're consuming at each meal and overall during the day. So um, as I said earlier, sometimes weight loss can be more about making sure that you're getting the right nutrients within your within your diet. So um, as part of that, if, if you are eating late at night, part of your goal could be to think about meal planning. So if you're eating a substantial, healthy, varied breakfast and lunch, it's gonna give you more energy during the day and also it will help to stabilize your blood sugars. So that means that you'll likely have less sugar cravings. And often a lot of the food that is eaten late at night isn't always the best. <laughs> so sometimes it can be things like chips or fizzy drinks or sweets or biscuits, which can have a lot of calories, a lot of energy in them, um, which can then contribute to weight gain. So meal planning can sometimes be a good way to, to help with that. Um, as well as this, having healthy, healthy meals and um, especially a healthy breakfast, it can help you from getting too hungry and then overeating at a later time. Um, so regularly timed meals throughout the day, rather than eating most of your calorie requirements later in the day, can help you maintain a healthy metabolism and healthy energy levels during the whole, the whole day to help your body thrive. Okay, so the next question that we have is from a mum um, and she's got a 10 year old, really sporty, really active little boy, um, but he's quite small and she says she's struggling to get him any stronger. He's not a very big eater. He can sometimes just have two meals a day. Um, he eats quite a well-rounded diet and he will try new foods, um, but he just eats very small quantities. And because he's so active, she's just a bit worried about how skinny he is. She's afraid that he's going to get hurt kind of playing sports and um, wondering if she needs to maybe think about helping him build his strength with protein supplements. And is that something that's advised for children or um, are there other ways to get protein into his meals? OK, thanks, Abby. Um, so I would um, suggest um, in this particular case, I mean, it's always good for children to see um, a specialist pediatric dietitian. Um, so this, this sounds like there's a lot of things um, going on, you know, um, in terms of um, you know, he's a very active boy. He's willing to uh, try new foods, um, et cetera. Um, so where the pediatric dietitian can help um, with a one-to-one session is really, um, you know, working out the, the energy requirements, the protein, um, also explore the child um, why is only having two meals a day um, perhaps working with the mom in ways that you know you can increase the frequency of the meals um, to help with more energy and calorie intake um, and, and proteins um, as well um, but it's it's always best to try and get all your protein from diet first before looking at supplements um, so really looking at um, you know your whole foods eggs chicken fish and um, pulses um, nuts and, and that sort of thing um, 
can help. But um, so um, just in general, I mean, it will be good for um, the, the, the boy to go and see a um, pediatric dietitian. But some tips in general to help um, increasing protein intake for children um, could be um you know, um, offering, making sure the snack is always available in the house, offering little and often um, if the, if the, if it's eating smaller um, quantities of meals. So examples of high protein snacks for children could be those nut bars, making sure you pick the one with less sugar added. And uh, there's also, you can do homemade energy balls and flapjacks. Um, kids normally like the, that sort of um, thing. And cheese and crackers, um, meatballs and boiled eggs and things like that is also good for a little snack um, or a packet of nuts, yogurts, maybe even a, a piece of toast with peanut butter, um, hummus. So there's there's all sorts of things that you can offer, um, you know, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, perhaps before a sport event or after, even before bedtime to help maximize those energy and protein intake. Um, so smoothies is also a good one if you've got a blender and that the children may like that because it's like a milkshake kind of thing, but you can make it more nutritious. Um, for example, use yogurt and milk, um, also a really good source of protein with added nut butters, such as almond butter and banana can make a really nice drink. Um, so that, that's all like good tips, things to try. Um, yeah, and then also things that you can do with meals is adding extra cheese to salads and pastas, um, and adding nuts and things to these breakfast cereals and um, or even almonds to porridge. Um, so there's things that you can do to, to, to add some protein to meals as well. But it's also important, we, we talk a lot of protein, but um, protein is obviously important, but it's, um, but it's also important to make sure the other food groups, um, they, this, you, you know, the child's having plenty of complex carbohydrates as well as essential fats. Um, just to make sure um, if the child's quite active, the protein is taking is actually available for the muscle building and the strength because um, he will need um, energy as well if he's quite active. But again, um, it, it will be good for for the uh, for the for the child to see a, a specialist pediatric dietitian just to go into detail of his you know his diet history and everything. Um, so the next question that we have is um, someone that has previously had a condition called diverticulitis, and they are asking if there are any foods that they need to avoid because of that. Um, so Liv, I know you're going to answer this question, but before we get started on the answer, would you be able to tell me what diverticulitis is? Diverticulitis, when it's inflamed, is a digestive condition that affects the large intestine, the bowel. Um, so diverticular are small bulges or pockets that can form in the lining of your intestine, especially as you get older. Um, and most people with diverticular don't get any symptoms and only know they have it after having a scan for another reason. That's the most common way that you would get diagnosed with this. And when there are no symptoms, it's called diverticulosis. Um, but sometimes what can happen is in these pockets or pouches in your bowel, um, some food can become stuck in it, if, if you like, um, and that diverticular can become inflamed or infected, which can cause a lot of pain. Um, and this is called diverticulitis. So that can be tummy pain or it can cause constipation or diarrhea or both. Um, and sometimes it can um, you can have some blood in your poo or a high temperature and a fever. And that can sometimes be when you need to be getting medical advice. So that's an overview of what diverticular disease is. 
Um, in terms of diet, it's a really good question because often people would think that is there some foods that I could cut out of my diet that would stop it getting stuck in the pockets or something like that. But essentially, like I said, lots of people who have diverticular, it doesn't cause them any symptoms. And so what's important in this situation is, well, you, you, you don't need to make any significant changes to your diet. It's, it's more important to have a balanced intake, a variety of foods, um, and having a good amount of a good amount of fiber in your diet. So it's recommended that adults try to get approximately 30 grams of fiber per day. And a good um, a good kind of fiber to have is the soluble kind. So that can be foods such as apples, carrots, oats, barley, and nectarines as, as a few examples. Um, really the changing your diet um, can help if you are having an active flare-up of diverticular disease, i.e. diverticulitis, where you're having significant pain or having issues with your stools. But in this situation, it would be important that you seek medical advice. The only thing I would suggest is if there is an active inflammation or if you are in active diverticulitis and seeking medical advice, Sometimes having a very low fiber diet can actually help to alleviate some of the pain um, or even a liquid diet. So both of these things could be done under the under the supervision of a doctor or a dietitian to make sure if you're if you're in, if your active stage is lasting a while to make sure that you're getting all the nutrition that your body needs. But sometimes cutting out a lot of the fiber foods can can alleviate some symptoms. So swapping to white bread from wholemeal or granary bread, for example, would be a small change to make that could help. But that would be under the under the care of a of a healthcare professional, like a doctor or a dietitian. So the final question comes from somebody who has recently adopted a vegetarian diet, and they are wondering about the best and easiest ways of making sure they eat enough protein. Um, they would like to know how much protein they, they need, given that they're very active. And also if they need to take any vitamins or supplements um, and whether this is necessary if they're eating a balanced diet, basically just how to transition to vegetarianism in a healthy way. Okay, thank you, Abby. Um, so basically the um, recommendations for protein for adults is um, around 0.75 grams of protein per kilogram body weight. And that's the, ref the reference nutrient intake recommendation. Um, so for somebody, for example, 70 kilograms will need about 52 grams, for example, um, of protein. Um, but the, so the question referred to somebody who's on a vegetarian diet, which um, I'm not sure if, if they are including things like dairy and eggs, then um, it may be, you know, it will be easier to meet those protein requirements um, just because a lot of animal products might have more um, grams of protein per 100 gram, for example, compared to your plant base. But this doesn't mean that you can't meet your protein requirements on a just a plant-based diet as well. It just means that you probably just need to be more mindful and more prepared, planning meals, um, making sure you have a big variety of all the plant-based proteins. Um, so just to give a few examples of different foods, um, for example, you know, um, eggs um, per 100 gram will give you 13 grams of protein, whereas lentils um, also per 100 gram would be nine grams. And then there's cheese per 100 
grams would give you 25 grams of protein, whereas chickpeas such as hummus and things like that would be seven grams per 100 grams. So it's just really a little bit of a um, um, com- uh, comparing the two that um, perhaps you may need to increase your the quantity of the plant-based proteins you're taking to make sure you are getting enough proteins. Um so again, in terms of activity, if you are quite active, then of course, it's not just the proteins that's important, but making sure you are um, getting your energy from other food sources as well, essential fats and um, you know complex carbohydrates such as potatoes and rice and sweet potatoes and that sort of thing, um, so that the protein is actually available for your um, for your muscles and to, to retain strength um, uh, if you are quite quite active. Um, so to follow a healthy, balanced, you know, nutritious diet. Um, on a plant-based um, diet, um, it you know is possible again. So there's there's some examples, you know, making sure you have plenty of different pulses such as lentils, chickpeas, um, things like um, peas and, and beans as well, and then tofu. Um, there's nuts and seeds as well. Um, quinoa um, contains all 22 amino acids, for example. So so yeah, um, just planning your meals and, and having a big variety of those um, examples would be good. Um, you can also include um, other snacks and drinks. Make if you've got a blender again, you can use um, that to add some nut butters or you know toast with different peanut butter or almond butter or things like that. Hummus, um, adding nuts and things like that to, to breakfast cereals and peanuts sauces to stews. So there is ways that you can be very creative um, adding extra protein to your diet. Um, so in terms of supplements, um, again, this is probably good to see a dietitian, um, especially if you know, your individual needs um, have to assess your diet to give you some recommendations on that. But um, often vegetarians um, may not get enough iron and vitamin B12. Um, but so if you think you may not get enough of those, then perhaps a supplement can be recommended. But again, it's important to seek just advice um, in terms of which ones would be the best. Um, so it will be recommended to you know see a dietitian if you want to have further information. <laughs> Okay, thank you both so much for answering all of those questions. I think the people that ask them will find that really, really useful. Um, and thanks for joining us for this Dietitian's Week podcast. Thank you.